Hi everyone, I'm John C. Morley, the host of the Jmore Tech Talk Show and Inspirations for Your Life. Hey guys, how are you? Good evening. It is John C. Morley here, serial entrepreneur. And you know you're joining me on a Friday for another Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. I can't believe it's Friday. And I can't believe, ladies and gentlemen, that we only have one more Friday left in February. And then I'll be seeing you in March for the first uh, Friday in March. So uh, really cool there. I do want to thank you, friends, whether you're watching us live here at the 5 in the evenings uh, or in the morning or whether it's 12 noon or 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. or 1 p.m. I'm just so grateful that you're here with me for another Jay Moore Tech Talk show. So let's get started, shall we? All right. So tonight's topic, uh, master topic of the show is the ethical implications of advancements in artificial intelligence or for short, AI. We're on... Um, Series three, which means we're in the third year and we are on show number seven, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot believe that. All right, let's talk about the first hot topic that comes to mind uh, because I've got a lot of them to share with you, uh, probably more than you're ready for. Here we go, everyone. First one up is yes, USA took Russia's military intelligence botnet down. Let's give them a round of applause. I mean, a real round of applause because. Um, you know, this took a lot of work. And the thing I want to say about this is that, um, you know, you would think that a lot went into this. And basically, the Department of Justice disrupted a botnet used by the Russian military intelligence for widespread cyber espionage. Yeah. Now, the network was made up of hundreds of individual small office home systems, Soho routers, that the Russian military unit, uh, 26165, better known as Fancy Bear or APT-28, Sophocy Group, uh, Forest Blizzard, Pawn, Storm, and Sednit, was able to use to launch cyber crimes, including spear phishing, credential harvesting, and more, according to the Department of Justice. And so, unlike other custom code networks uh, typically used by the Russian state or in the affiliates, uh, threat actors, this one was built on existing malware called Mubot. Yeah, Mubot. And it's linked to other known criminal actors. Um, and the Justice Department said in a statement that this is something they were very happy that they took down. And, um, you know, they used uh, Ubiquity Edge routers. And the thing which made this interesting is, is that they never changed the password on their router. Now, great for the United States that we figured that out. But hey, if you're in the security industry or if you have a business, take that router, take whatever you have and change the darn default password. I mean, come on, right? I mean, we are in what century, right? This this isn't like, 
you know, the, the 60s. This is, yeah, we're in 2024. We're in the, the 2000s. And I mean, as we said, as, as technology gets faster, as it comes in quicker through larger pipes, the potential of it becoming more of a threat from bad actors is inevitable. So it's not a question of if you're going to get attacked, but when, if you're not properly protected. So this was a huge, huge win for the United States of America's military uh, department, the Department of Justice. I mean, this was just a huge, huge win all around. And I know everybody is like celebrating and jumping for joy because they did not expect to have this win. And the deputy attorney general, I think it was Lisa Monaco, noted uh, in the second time in the two months that the Department of Justice has disrupted a state-sponsored botnet. Uh, Jeff Holquist is the chief analyst with uh, Mandiant Intelligence. Um, Google Cloud said, and I quote, that while this operation alone is unlikely to have a significant impact on Russian cyber espionage operations, there is a value in slowing their efforts with these disruptions. So um, I think this definitely caught them off their game. And then a few hours later, the second uh, person in charge was killed. I don't know if that's coincidence or not, but I'm thinking probably not just because this really uh, took them down. And, you know, Russia will rebuild in a couple of days or a week uh, with a bigger and better uh, system. And hopefully they'll actually change the password uh, for them, but not for us. Because, uh, I mean, just having technology and then understanding that you don't have to change the password. I can't tell you how many people I know they take their router out of the box, they plug it in and say, oh, it's all ready to use. I'm like, no, it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's all set. And they got a factory password. And even though the factory has set default passwords on them, but they still can be hacked. That's a big problem. So here's another interesting story. Tiny living robots made from human cells started to surprise scientists. This is really, when I say amazing, this is absolutely amazing uh, because, uh, you know, scientists have created things all the time, but these tiny living robots from human cells that can move around in a lab dish and might be able one day to heal wounds or damage tissue in uh, humans or other animals. So uh, the team at Tufts University and Harvard University's uh, Institute have dubbed these creations Anthrobots, and so um, they are uh, also coming up with another name. Who made the first living bots, or called Xenobots, and uh, stem cells sourced from embryos of the African clawed frog. And some people thought that the features of Xenobots relied a lot on the fact that they are embryonic and amphibian, um, but they're a lot more than that. And um, the thing that's interesting is is that we're, we're using technology, not just in a place with wires and wireless, but we're actually innovating things in science that can actually help us. I think that is just so cool. And as we get different flavors, different shapes, um, nothing fits the same for everyone. I mean, nothing ever does. And I will tell you that... Uh, it's just people that don't get what's going on. 
And as we think a little bit about this and Anthrobot, I mean, if you asked yourself, you know, what is an Anthrobot? You'd probably be like, I have no clue. Um, Anthrobots are pretty cool. Uh, they're tiny biobots from human cells. And they're self-assembling biological robots made from human um, cells capable of movement and, of course, encouraging neuron growth. So uh, pretty interesting. But how do they actually work? So each anthrobot starts out as a single cell. And then um, it builds upon from an adult donor. The cells then uh, come to the surface of the trachea and are covered with hair-like projections uh, called cilia, which you're probably familiar with. And they wave back and forth very, very quickly. And that cilia hair uh, helps the trachea cells push out tiny particles that find their way into the air passages of the lungs. So um, pretty cool, right? Um, people say, are these real? Yes, they are real. And these biobots can do so much. But the question I have is, are they going to be part of some approved medical program or are they just some type of pie in the sky science? Well, I think once we get some clear understanding of what, you know, these things are and how they work, they're going to make some major, major changes in our world. And so whenever we use nature to heal nature, I think that is more than mind blowing. I mean, that is just like, something that I can't even fathom. And a lot of people don't even believe it's possible, but it is. It's a structure. It's a living structure. And that structure has the ability to grow. Pretty cool, right? Uh, hello there. We've got a few visitors. Um, glad you want to make America great again. Thanks so much for popping in the channel. I'm glad that you decided to pop in there. Uh, but, you know, when we think about um, different things, you know, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is people's safety, you know, are, our xenobots and our anthrobots safe? Um, the question is, are they? Because a lot of people might say that they're not, um, you know, are anthrobots safe, uh, for humans? And, you know, again, scientists build these little tiny biological robots and the antibots can only survive in very specific laboratory conditions. So that means that they might have a limited life. Um, basically, they're multicellular robots and they can come in a variety of sizes from widths of human hair to even the point of a um, sharpened pencil. Um, but the thing that I believe is interesting is, is that, you know, as we talk about this, is that they are starting to create a whole new type of science, well beyond biology, well beyond chemistry. And each anthrobot starts out as a single cell. And as I said, it derives or achieves what it needs from its adult donor. And the cells come from the surface, as we said, the trachea, and they're covered with the hair-like projections called the cilia. And they wave back and forth. Now, research, researchers have developed growth conditions that encourage cilia to face outward on organoids. But the thing is, they have very specific conditions that they can only live under. 
And if that is not met, then they unfortunately will die. Uh, so, um, are these robots able to create a consciousness? No, no. Um, so in, in, in the sense, these are just like amoeba. They are really just things. But if you want to think about consciousness, right, because everything has energy, everything in our world is and was, it's all energy. So if we want to think about it on the very purest level, your thoughts can affect even these uh, things because everything in our world is energy. My hat is energy. My voice is energy. Uh, my phone is energy. Uh, this program is energy. And, you know, if you remember, we talked about something called Xenobots. So you might be saying to me, hey, John, the difference is, or I should say the difference between a, a Xenobot, which we talked about before, a Xenobot and an Anthrobot. You know, what's really the difference? So um, biobots are like xenobots, um, but they're a little bit different. Uh, if you remember, xenobots are mobile clusters of frog cells, and um, they can do some pretty interesting things um, from the human cell clusters. And when we get that, we get something called anthrobots. So really, uh, anthrobots are like a collection of xenobots. I think that's probably a good way to explain it, uh, is that it's got that type of potential. And just it's interesting that we are going down this pathway and hopefully adopting science for good. I think that's a really amazing thing, ladies and gentlemen. So let's move on to our next topic, um, and that is using AI to find missing hikers. This one kind of opens my eye up a little bit. So Hong Kong's uh, got some challenging terrain, as we all know, uh, for hikers and rescue workers. And this is why Hong Kong's fire service department has started to partner with local tech startups like Life Sparrow to develop an AI algorithm to use images from drones to locate people lost in remote areas. If you ask me, this is really cool. And it's a way of using technology in a very smart way. I mean, a really, really smart way. Um, is computer engineering still with, uh, or is it? So uh, being, uh, being an engineer, electrical and Tate and computer, I can tell you that they're kind of morphing into different uh, spaces, but then they do come together. So if you go to school for computer engineering, that's one thing. If you go to school for straight engineering, that's another thing, right? Then you have electrical. And so are cells electrical, which is a good question. And every part of your body has some electrical components in it, right? If you, if you remember a way back when we talked about getting messages, let's say to my hand, um, what happens is the message travels from my brain down um, the nervous system and what happens is when it gets to one of the dendrites and there's a space, it actually, you would think is going to like, you know, like a pond, it would just kind of like jump. Well, it can't jump. So it changes its electrical energy into chemical energy. And that um, chemical energy then allows that space gap. And then when it gets back to the other side of the other dendrite, it then trans ba transfers back into um the electrical energy of the body. So I think that is really cool. And um, I think a lot of people don't understand that our body and the way our mind works and just the way I move a finger or I move a leg, the amount of effort that our body has to put forth to do that, it's pretty amazing, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it's stuff that people would be like, 
How is that even possible? I mean, how is it even possible? But, you know, there is a lot going on uh, in our body. And one thing I want to talk about, but not so much today, is the fact that our brain does not run our body. Let me say that again. Our brain does not run our body. Our brain does not run our body. Well, wait a minute, John. I, I don't quite understand that. I knew you were going to say this to me. So our brain does control some autonomous functions of our body, right? But it's under the direction of another boss. Well, John, who's more intelligent than the brain? You're writing your heart. Well, uh, that's a good question. Does my brain control it? So the spinal cord, it's actually the heart. These are great questions. So our heart is the chief executive officer of the company uh, that it's running you. And so to answer your question uh, that you had a very good question about, does my brain control me? So your subconscious controls you. So 98%, but this is a topic for another time. Uh, and you definitely want to check out IFOIL, Inspirations for Your Life. I don't want to go down that path too much. Um, the subconscious is what runs our body. So if you're like, hey, I don't want to do this or I want to do that. If you ever know you get into a, a great habit, your subconscious is what keeps that going. The dopamine, the serotonin get you to feel good and then you want to keep doing it. What happens to a lot of people is they're doing something that they don't want to do and they don't and they can't get out of it. And they're like, well, how did I get into this? Because I didn't even like this. Maybe it was their parents. Maybe it was their friends, significant others. Maybe it was something they saw on TV. You see, you were programmed. And when you were younger, you actually got these things programmed in you. There was a great book many years ago. Uh, well, that doesn't have anything to do with whether you shower or not. That That's really irrelevant. Uh, but thank you for sharing. Uh, it, it doesn't doesn't really affect uh, that. So your body has a remarkable ability to transfer messages from one point to another point and cause communication. Um, even your ear is pretty amazing. Your eyes are pretty amazing, right? Vibrations, you're hearing me right now because of vibrations that are coming off of my vocal cords, through my mouth, into the microphone, and out to your speakers. And then you're hearing them as your ear is then vibrating those to the auditory nerve. I mean, I think this stuff is just like so fascinating. And I feel that the more we get curious about it, the more we learn. Now, somebody else had a question about the spinal cord. So the spinal cord is very, very vital. It has our spinal fluid in it. And it does connect a lot of our body together. I mean, our, our, our spine is like key. If we didn't have a good spinal cord, that's what people always say, you know, you have to have a straight back. You don't want to have scoliosis. You want to sit up straight. You want to have your, your back up as straight as possible. Because when you do, there's a couple of reasons. One, you're, you're creating better flow, but also in the terms of spirituality and in the terms of energy, energy moves a lot better when we have that straight flow. So um, I'm not sure where your question's coming in. Um I'm not sure of what you're saying there. Um, they're just, uh, uh, somebody asked a question about tumors. Uh, uh, another question, I've followed the rough endoplasmic reticulum. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I'm not going to go down that pathway too much. Uh, but I think the big thing I want to share with you is neuroplasticity. Uh, and I'm probably going to end it there because we could go into a whole uh, tiz on this. 
neuroplasticity, think of it like a rubber band, okay? So neuroplasticity is the ability to change one shape to another shape. In a sense, our brain, our body, we can actually change our cells by programming, by putting energy through. And so our body is all energy. Uh, I'm not sure what the birds have to do with anything there in Mambian. I don't, I don't know where you're going with that. Um, but everything in our world connects to our consciousness. So you can, if you've ever been around a dog or a cat, that dog or cat can know if you're a good person or not. Does the energy around us control our actions? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a great question. Let's say that uh, you're around somebody. I'm sure you've done this before. And that person uh, around you is not in a great mood, right? And you're there and you were in a great mood, but suddenly you hung around your friend and that friend is like kind of negative and that's going to start to rub off on you. In fact, when we project out positive energy, it's almost like sound waves, but it's not sound waves, and they kind of just would ripple all through within a few feet, that affects other people. So yes, the energy around us controls our actions. When we say controls, I want to be specific about this. It actually affects our actions. So it can make us want to do something or not want to do something. This is why whenever I get people around me and they don't have a good attitude, um, oh, you have another question there. Um, cons conservapedia. Uh, I'm not sure what your question is. Just that it's a family friendly wiki. I mean, it was it was put together by teachers, uh, and of the like to help people understand so they could become more curious. That was really the reason. Uh, oh, what about the missing hikers? Sure. So what was happening is they were losing hikers. And so what Hong Kong decided to do was partner, as I said, with this startup company called Life Sparrow. So they connected with Life Sparrow uh, to help them create basically a solution, an AI, an AI solution. And with this AI solution, um, they used it to find missing people. And so uh, because they have very bad, you know, terrains over there, they're very treacherous. And um, the thing about using AI technology is they have to be careful that they don't get false positives. And, you know, so this was a, a Poly U graduate, Max Lee and Joshua Chan uh, developed the AI technology that literally slashed time to analyze the search and rescue drone images, which took a lot of time normally by the naked eye. And they pair turned to entrepreneurship after they graduated in 2020, which is just four years ago, to an aviation industry left reeling by the coronavirus crisis. So it was a perfect time for them to kind of get on board with this. And the uh, flying Hong Kong aviation engineering graduates launched a startup to pioneer an artificial intelligence program they called uh, to assist in spotting signs of missing hikers and drone images. And it helps speed up the massive effort to rescue, yes, a lost 17-year-old boy, which they did find. So already we are seeing benefit, ladies and gentlemen, of this technology. And I think we have to understand that we have to use technology for good. Uh, do you have any socials or Twitters? Yes, I do. I have lots of socials and Twitters. Uh, happy to share that with you guys. Uh, if you scan that QR code at the top, 
you will find all of my content. Um, so some of you that are new here, uh, I have several shows. I have the JMR Tech Talk show, which is every Friday. Uh, and um, I have Inspirations to Your Life, which now has about 150,000 people. I get guests on this show. I get guests on my other shows. I also have a new show called Behind the Mic with John C. Morley on, on uh, Saturday night, which is raw. It's not an R show, but it's a show that tells you the things you don't want to hear. And, uh, you know, there's technology out there. People ask this all the time, you know, John, is, is water good? Is water bad? Let's just talk about that from a sense. So water is not good and water is not bad. Just like technology is not good, technology is not bad. This phone is not good. This phone is not bad. This phone is what it is based on how I choose to apply. I could use that phone to call a loved one. I could also use that phone to call a local uh, store and prank them, which would not be really nice. So you can use technology for good or for bad. Um, can I help you with your intro to electro tech homework? I'm not sure uh, what you want to know. Um, you know, there, there's a lot in, 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 in electro tech. Uh, I mean, just being able to take, you know, different things and to represent them for things uh, now with utilities and uh, things like uh, commercialism to be able to um, have sustainable energy. And we talked about other shows about other sustainable sources, and it's not battery. It's things like wind power. It's a hydroelectric power from water. It's solar power, right? Uh, was the drink made by humans? Oh, you like that. Okay, so what was I talking about? All right, guys, you guys are checking my content. Awesome. So um, there was a, a company that wanted to do a study to see if the AI drink was better than the other and could people tell the difference well the funny thing was about maybe more than half the percent of the time people could tell the drink was made by an ai or the human versus the ai and so what would happen is you would describe what you wanted to have the type of you know drink you'd want and you'd put all that together they would type to the computer so the computer would spit one out through a chat GPT for one that was um, the regular recipe of how to make the drink, you know, basically just what the bartender would make. And the second was an AI concocted drink. And so the question a lot of people are asking is, um, will AI bartenders, this is really the question, will AI bartenders replace uh, regular uh, or I'll, I'll call it human bartenders? Uh, and I have to say to you guys, it sounds fun. Um, it, uh, per the Nevada independence, uh, between 38% and 65% of these kinds of jobs will become automated, uh, in about a decade or so. And it represents between 500,000, 860,000 gigs that disappeared, um, and will continue to disappear by 2035. So the question is, do you want to let technology be your personalization? I don't. I would rather have a human create things because I feel that the AI system makes things different all the time. If you go to ChatGPT and tell it to give you a story, you come back later, it's going to give you a different story. Even though it might be similar, um, that, is, that is really the problem. So AI is starting to, unfortunately, uh, replace jobs, but... I think it's good when we use AI to replace jobs when it could harm or hurt someone. Uh, for example, being a first responder, we couldn't 
Uh, we could have gone in, but we were afraid of danger or gas or explosions. So we sent drones in. And by doing that, um, we actually um, were able to survey the entire building and didn't have to worry about smoke inhalation or anything like that. And the only thing we might sacrifice is a drone. But if the drone gets hurt or something happens to it, um, we just fix it and put it back in. If a human uh, gets hurt, we might be able to fix the human, but they may also be uh, no longer living. So those are things we have to be considered of. So AI is not just your responsibility, but it's everybody's responsibility. All right. I think I think that's that's a real cool thing. And how about this, ladies and gentlemen? An autonomous lifeboat that could reach drowning people faster than a regular lifeboat. So the thing is, is that going to work or is it not going to work? You could look at that two ways. If it works, great. The boat is able to decipher a lot of different conditions. For example, in the world of AI, people have talked about this with ambulance and things. If they used AI to help regulate the traffic, would the ambulance actually get to its destination faster? Yes, but we all know the common courtesy of, you know, pull over for any type of, um, you know, law enforcement or um, medical or first responders. I mean, that's a common courtesy. I just feel that when we jack into too many things and we try to alter too many things, we upset the ecosystem of uh, the culture of the world. So I am one of these believers that everything should not be automated. Uh, you remember many years ago when they talked about the house, uh, the house that was run by a piece of software. And when the house got a virus, you know what happened? Well, they uh, had a problem. And uh, suddenly the house had a mind of its own. So people ask this question every day. Well, AI, uh, you know, make the decision that humans are not to be around. No, uh, because you have to realize there's still a control of running AI. And there's still you know, things that we have to regulate and deregulate. So I think we're going to be okay on that. Um, but an autonomous lifeboat, I think, I think this is pretty amazing. You know, having an autonomous, autonomous lifeboat uh, to rescue people that are drowning. That's pretty amazing, right? Did you ever think of having, a, you've heard of autonomous cars, an autonomous lifeboat to reach people drowning. I mean, in theory, it sounds like a great idea. But is it really a good idea? Um, because it could navigate better. Uh, again, it's an unmanned lifeboat. And um, this lifeboat is designed to basically reach people much faster. Uh, so what happens is the uh, boat has uh, some engines on it, outboard engines. And it has a onboard uh, control system, which basically drives uh, the boat. So it's, you know, a human could drive it too, but it basically just has an, an automatic steering system with a very fancy GPS. And then there's even a board, uh, that the boat can put down so that, um, you know, the, the person can, can be rescued very easily. So remember when you have this, you have to realize that there are some limitations because the boat can't just reach out and help. So they have to build other systems that allow this to happen. All right, our next topic is a really cool one. And this is Kara Swisher. So she's sick of tech people. So she wrote a book about them. 
I think this is interesting. Um, it's kind of a little weird in one sense. Um, you know, so you're sick of tech people, so you write a book. Um, I don't know. Um, I think she's trying to make a statement. And I think what she's really trying to do is let people know that she's not happy, not so much with technology, but I think the way people choose to act around technology. I mean, you have friends, right? And some friends are arrogant where they don't want to hear anything. They just want to go one way. Uh, so the what's the book's title? Oh, sure. Her, her book is titled. Let me get you her title. Uh, her title on this book is called. Let me just get you the title of the book. Uh, it literally, she just, just announced this, you know, recently. And I, and I think it's interesting uh, that, you know, that, that Swisher, uh, Swisher wrote a book. So, so Swisher wrote a book on, on, um, on basically hating uh, uh, tech people. And maybe she had a bad experience. Um, and her title is very interesting. You ready for it? How Silicon Valley Tech bros ruined media so she said over three decades tech obliterated media and it's a front row seat she claims to the slow moving catastrophe i mean we all know myself being a writer i think we have to be appreciative of creation right and i think we can't turn to technology to just create stuff for us i think that's a bad problem so will AI potentially impact politics too heavily? Uh, that's a great question. Yes, yes, yes. So I had a post. Uh, I post over 18 times a day on a variety of different things you guys can check out. Um, that's a great question. So I have two books I'm working on. My one book will probably be up at the end of the year, but I'm also writing a short book. I'm not going to give a title yet. It's going to be a very short one. It's probably going to be like 80 to 100 pages. Uh, the other one's 600 pages. So that one's probably about half done. It won't be done probably till the end of the year. Uh, but I wanted to give people a short book. And, and this book that I'm writing is uh, about motivation. It's not a tech book. I'll probably write a tech book too. People have been asking me. But I've written close to 250,000 words. I've been a member of the International Press Association now for seven years and three months. So uh, pretty cool. But I think a lot of people don't realize that, especially something you know, like this book, you know, the fact that, you know, like you said, that, you know, that, that, that it ruined uh, the media. I mean, that's pretty far. And uh, it's funny how companies were just buying up stuff that they didn't want to get on the street. I mean, let's talk about what happened with with Mr. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg. You all, all know about all the kids that either got hurt uh, physically, emotionally, mentally or they committed suicide. And this was all no thanks to the Facebook Meta's irresponsibility of being responsible. So regardless of whether you're in business, whether you're not in business, you have a, a duty to act responsibly. And they didn't. So Mark was at this big hearing with, uh, you know, the lawmakers and uh, Elon Musk and the head from um, uh, TikTok. And one of the lawmakers said to him, um, you know, have you done anything to help these people? He says, I don't think we have. Have you done anything to compensate these people? 
Uh, I'm not really sure. And then he said something very interesting. And all these people are holding pictures up of their loved ones in the room. And he goes, well, you're going to, have you apologized to people? Um, No. Well, don't you think you should? He kind of paused. He's like, all these people here have either got kids that got hurt physically, emotionally, mentally, or took their, lost their lives. Um, I'll get to your question in just a second uh, about good question. So the thing about this is that they guilted him into an apology. So he gets off on his, his high horse. He says, uh, you know, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, no one should have gone through what you had gone through and your loved ones went through. And for that, I'm deeply sorry. And you can be assured that at Facebook and Meta, we're going to create tools. Tools? What are you, a, 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 a manufacturer of, of uh, you know, of saws and uh, uh, hammers and nails and screws? You're going to create tools? Why couldn't you have something more personal? Like, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very sorry for what you've gone through. I've never lost anybody. Um, I can't imagine what it's like. So I don't want to pretend and tell you that I do. But I know it's probably not pleasant. And I know, ladies and gentlemen, that we, myself included at Facebook and Meta, we screwed up. And I'm going to do everything I can to make this right for you guys, starting with um, a scholarship fund to help educate people about technology and how to stay safe. And I'm also going to compensate every one of the families. I know it's not much, but I'm going to compensate every one of the families $5,000 just as a small token um, to let you know that I am deeply sorry. He didn't do that. He did not do that. Now, another person had a question. Um, do I think the TikTok guy, it's a great question, uh, was the the TikTok uh, guy at the um, at the uh, child was the child safety hearing a spy um I don't believe he was a spy I believe he was there because he was genuinely concerned and I have to say, when he asked questions and he couldn't give the answers and he like went around a mulberry bush, like, can't you answer a simple question? So, no, I don't think he was a spy. I think he was concerned. Now, we all know right now the country, our country is split on whether TikTok should be shut down. Yes, the country is split on whether TikTok should be shut down. And this only came, ladies and gentlemen, as of 11 hours ago. And it's right now almost 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on February 16th. So President Joe Biden's campaign embraced TikTok to court younger voters ahead of the presidential elections. But the U.S. adults have mixed view about whether the video sharing app should even operate in the country. This is just, I don't know, this is a lack of responsibility. Uh, this is all about politics. And right now, to answer your question, if AI is not 
curbed in the right manner, we could start to see a lot more deep fakes being released on the internet. And that could directly impact the election. We're not using AI to actually run election systems, okay, to take polls, but we are using systems to gather data like uh, daily data and trends and things like that. So if you want to act like a jerk and you want to come off and you want to basically say, hey, I'm the best things in sliced bread and this is the way it's going to be. I mean, I think people are going to get sick of that. They're going to get sick of it and it's going to be a problem. And I see this whole world. I mean, look what happened, ladies and gentlemen, with Google. So Google, um, the company that they are, it's been challenging. I mean, they're starting to take a hit. Uh, people, head people from the company are leaving the company. And the gentleman, as you know, the head CEO and the owner from um, DuckDuckGo, which I've used for years, doesn't take your data, doesn't use it to spy on you, doesn't sell your data. I was doing an experiment before on the web uh, with a bogus email. And I set up a bogus phone number just to test this. I was on this company site for a couple seconds. I hung up and I got a call on the bogus number, which obviously went into a test cell phone. But I thought it was interesting that this happened. And I was like, where's your information? Like, you had no right to just grab my information. I didn't give you permission to grab my information. So I think there's going to be that line of, you know, what is allowed and, and what's not allowed. I think that's a big, big problem for everyone. So what's going to happen is this is going to be the largest antitrust case in history because Google's getting caught with their hand more with just being in a cookie jar. They're getting caught with their pants down and they're in trouble because the European Union is coming after them. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that brings me to my next point. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the, the European Union is expanding the digital crackdown on toxic content and dodgy goods on all platforms. I'm not just talking about one platform. I'm talking about TikTok. I'm talking about every platform that you can imagine, okay? And they're doing this because they're concerned for the greater good of all concerned. They're concerned. They are very concerned uh, what's going on. But the European Union, again, the European Union is, is cracking down uh, on the digi on digital content. And, you know, uh, they're expanding stricter digital rule books. Uh, and this was just announced that's going to start happening tomorrow, February 17th, to just about every platform in the world. And this is called the crackdown phase on toxic social media that uh, puts out content and dodgy commerce products. Uh, and this started last year, but now they're getting really tight. So you might be saying, hey, John, so so what will the new uh, European Union um, social con uh, crackdown uh, mean? Because a lot of people are scared. They are very, very scared. Uh, a lot of people make their money on these things. This is this is a problem. And um, again, they're going to get stricter. Um, the the Digital Services Act already kicked in um, nearly two dozen of the biggest 
online platform, including Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Amazon, and Wikipedia. Yes. So the DSA, the Digital Services Act, which was enacted not too long ago, imposes several strict requirements designed to keep internet users safe online. And it includes making it easier to report counterfeit or unsafe goods or flag harmful or illegal content like hate speech, as well as ban on ads targeted children. I mean, let's look at TikTok for a minute, okay? Now, we all know that they say that they don't want X-rated content. They say they don't want pornography. They say they don't want hate. But how are they missing the content? Do you think that the rise of short-term entertainment will lead to psychological problems? That's another great problem uh, question. I, also being a, a background in, in clinical psychology, I can tell you that if people do not heed the warnings, we all know what happens if you watch um, content too long, right? You become addicted to it. And what happens if you watch it too long it starts to monopolize your life. And once it monopolizes your life, it's like you're serving that, whether it's X-rated content, whether it's uh, smut about different actors. You're addicted to it. And yes, I believe it will rise short-term entertainment. And I believe it will cause issues because when the European Union comes out, there's going to be a problem. Is there a digital solution for a broken heart? Well, um, that's a great question. You know, it's also a loaded question. I think the big thing to realize there is that you got to protect your heart or no one else will. You know, a wise person once said that um, there's nothing more precious in our life, regardless of whether it's, you know, things that we see with our eyes or we taste with our mouth or uh, we hear with our ears, than what we can ever have that'll be felt. With our heart. So I think we have to understand that we've got to protect our heart. We got to protect it at all costs because our heart is the powerhouse of our body. And if we do not keep our health up, I'm not just talking about our, our uh, circulatory system, I'm talking about our well being, I'm talking about how we feel because when we feel good, it's a natural high, it's a natural drug that keeps us a certain way and natural things are fine. So that natural dopamine or serotonin, a little bit of that comes off. That's great. But when people have to turn to drugs to do that, that's when we got a problem. And what I see happening, if people do not curb what they're doing in these different short uh, things that they do. And people ask me, John, you know, what will happen uh, if, if let's just, if, if kids uh, keep watching uh, adult content, uh, what are the consequences um, to them? Let's not even talk about who puts it out there. Um, so first of all, poor mental health, number one. There's going to be sexism, um, saying one power is better than the other. Objectification, that means turning people into objects. That's right, objects not seeing them as people, that is a very, very big problem. And ladies and gentlemen, it is going to get worse before it gets better. There's also going to be increased 
sexual aggression. Now you might say, John, well, what the heck does that matter? It's only online. I can handle it. It's not going to bother anybody. Okay, fine. It, it, it's, it seems like it's online, but there was a great uh, person who's been on our show many times. Um, and he has something which he put together and he'll be on our show again. I'll probably bring him on the show again really soon. Um, he came up with a very, very, uh, great thing. It's called odor. And he came up with this and it basically stands to offline distress. Okay. Uh, if I'm saying this right, I'm sorry. Online distress, excuse me, online distress dictates offline response. That's deep, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very deep. And uh, this gentleman's name is Dr. Michael Nucitelli, psychologist. We'll definitely have him on again. And he came up with the whole concept of odor. You know, um, online distress dictates offline response. And... I feel that it's a responsibility, okay? It is a responsibility that we all have. And if we do not embrace this responsibility, we're headed for failure. So again, ladies and gentlemen, what are the, con? I'm just going to say this again. What are the consequences of kids watching adult content? First of all, if they're exposed to this content in early adolescence, that could send wrong messages to them, okay, right off the bat. And it can possibly cause them to get involved in situations that they might not have the aptitude or the skills to handle. So whether we're talking about adult content, uh, violence, sexual content, uh, exposure during early adolescence, it can be associated with very risky sexual behavior that will be enacted on them because they see it somewhere. So they want to mimic it. That's what kids do. And previous studies have suffered from issues such as selection biases uh, and multimodality sexuality, explicit media. Um, but I think a lot of people feel that, hey, you know, they're only kids, you know, it's not a big deal. But consequences of kids watching adult content is dire. I mean, it, it's very dire. And like we were saying with uh, Facebook and Meta, uh, he said, you know, we got to blame, you know, um, the app stores for not verifying data. Come on, Mark. You know, uh, 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 like, let, let, let's, let's, let's have a set of them, right? And let's really you know, uh, act like we have them. Let's not pretend. And let's take responsibility for what we do. If we break the vase or we break the window, you know, a little hyperbole here, then let's take responsibility for it. Let's tell the neighbor, oh, we broke the, the thing. How many people do you know that ever, uh, uh, like tap a car? Oh, um, it, I, I, I didn't, I didn't hit it. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. Uh, you know, or I hit the car. It's not that bad. It has a light mark, but you know, he could just get it fixed. That's wrong. That's illegal. Ladies and gentlemen, that is illegal. So other things we saw besides the poor health, uh, the sexism, the objectification of genders, sexual aggression is huge. 
Um, and that can result in things happening in everyday life. Like I said, uh, online um, distress dictates offline response. And so interpersonal relationship problems and other negative outcomes. And the whole aggression comes in because people believe they can. They get this sense of being entitled when they're not entitled. They're acting like jerks. So I would tell you that content is key. But when we see content, we have to be understanding that that content's on a box. And exposure to it too early or too much can actually affect our life. It can desensitize them to the lovely experience of sex in a relationship and induce engagement in dangerous sexual activities well before they're permitted. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You can always watch the show anytime. Check out all my other great content. You know, we got to wrap up tonight. It's always great to have you guys. Check out all my other shows. I have another show coming on later. Just go to BelieveMeAchieve.com. IFYL will be later, a little later tonight. And uh, we're growing. So I really do appreciate you guys. And if there's a topic you want me to cover, let me know. Uh, I'm happy to do that. Thank you so much, everyone. It's great to have you all here. Have a wonderful weekend. And I hope you understand that technology is really cool. But I think the most important thing, ladies and gentlemen, that we have to understand when it comes to technology, do you know what that is? The most important thing. I want to say thank you for being part of tonight's show. Until we get to our next one, which is next time, keep dreaming, keep innovating, and keep pushing the boundaries of what's possible. Because remember, good technology will propel our world further. The choice of using technology for bad will set us back light years. Have yourself a fantastic rest of your night and weekend. And I'll catch you on another show real soon. Be well, everyone.